0: Last class, we saw uh, Saul finally getting rid of all pretense and just stating outright that he wants to kill David. And we see a lot of interaction between Saul and David. David's running away from Saul. David is trying to convince Saul's son, Jonathan, that his father wants him dead. And uh, through a plan between David and Jonathan, they prove that, that Saul wants David dead. And, uh, and so at the end of uh, chapter 20, uh, we have this covenant between Jonathan and David. They go their separate ways, and it's a very, uh, a very sad picture. From this point on, we know that David is going to be on the run from Saul, and Saul is just going to be relentlessly trying to pursue him every chance he gets. I want to open tonight, before we begin going through 21 through 23, with Proverbs chapter three verse, uh, starting with verse five. it says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight." And I want us to keep this passage in mind as we study this evening and throughout, because David's on the run. He's got a lot of decisions that he has to make, and he has to make them pretty quickly. And so what is David going to do? Who is he going to put his trust in? Right? We have already seen Saul. Saul likes to trust in himself. He likes to trust in the things that he has accumulated, the things that he has, the power that he has. But who is David going to put his trust in? God. That's the hope, right? That's the hope. That's what we've seen current, uh, you know, up to this point. He puts his trust in the Lord. But let's start out with chapter 21, verse 1. David comes to Nob, and he comes to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? Think about it from Ahimelech the priest's perspective. You have David, who is known to be a commander of the army, right? He's not just a commander of the army. He leads thousands of men into battle against the Philistines and brings them victory, right? And David shows up to Ahimelech the priest and and he's got this giant army behind him and he's ready to go, right? No. Why are you alone? What's going on here? That's a bit unusual, right? He doesn't know what this means. Does it mean the army was destroyed and David's coming, running to him for protection? Does it mean there's an army of Philistines that are chasing David that he's got to prepare for? He has no idea so he asks David, why, why are you alone? And what does David tell Ahimelech? Secret from the king. I'm on a secret mission from the king. No, nobody can know about it. We got to keep it hush hush. I'm on a secret mission from the king. Okay. What has David just done here? Lied. Yeah, he lied, right? He lied. Um, Well, but you know he's on the run. It's you know it's scary. He's got trying to protect himself. No, no. David lied, right? Well, he's trying to protect Ahimelech so that Saul doesn't come and kill. No, David lied, right? Where did David put his trust? Right here. Doesn't seem like he put his trust in the Lord, right? He's going to come up with a plan. And so, what is David trying to get from Ahimelech? Our first question for the evening. What does he need? He needs food. That's one thing he needs, right? He, where, is, where was he last time? Well, he just ran, just fled from the presence of Saul. Does it seem like he took anything with him? No. He's, spear got thrown at him. He's out, right? Saul wants him dead. So he didn't stop to gather all of his stuff and then leave. No, he's, he had to run. He fled. So he needs food. What else does he need? He needs a weapon, Previously, we were told that Jonathan gave him his sword. Where's Jonathan's sword? He doesn't have Jonathan's sword now. Well, presumably, he left it when he fled, right? Uh, last I read, he had his harp with him. So I don't think he needed his harp. While, his sword while he was playing the harp, right? It's not typically how a harp's played. I don't know if you're instrumentalists and you know that. But, uh, but he doesn't have his sword. He needs a weapon, right? He's, he's undefended at this point. So he needs a weapon. And so what does Ahimelech tell him? I have Goliath's sword, but before that, he says about the food, uh, all I have here is the consecrated bread, right? And, and he says, you know, so you can, I can give you this consecrated bread for you and your men, but your men must be pure, clean at this time, right? Your men must be clean. And so they, what does David tell him about his men? Well, yeah, they're, def- they're, they're clean. Okay, wait a second. Who's here with David? I mean, as far as we know, nobody, <laughs> right? As far as we know, Ahimelech says, why are you here alone? So, you know, for all we know, David may be lying about these men that are supposedly with him as well. David is scared for his life, right? So we, as human beings, can understand why he would come to this conclusion that I have to convince this priest to give me food, I have to do it the quickest way I can, I need food, I need a weapon, and then I need to get out of here. And so he comes up with this plan to do that. He lies to Ahimelech, he gets the consecrated bread, again, is he he authorized to eat this consecrated bread? No, who is only authorized to eat that bread? The priests, right? But he takes it because he has a need, a very strong need, and he takes Goliath's sword. He says, it's a good sword, and then he leaves, right? There's none like it, give it to me, and where does David go? He runs off to Gath, right? He gets out of there. So, this passage comes back up. Uh, Jesus brings up this passage later in Matthew chapter 12, right? In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is questioned uh, because his disciples on the Sabbath become hungry and begin to pick the heads of grain and eat it. And the Pharisees see that and they say, ah, you're working. You're working, how dare you, right? Right? And they go to Jesus and they say, look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus tells them, have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions, how he entered the house of God. They ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? Why is this brought up here? Is it to say that, well, you know, what David did was right, and therefore what my disciples are doing is right? Is that what it's pointing out here? No, Jesus here is showing the difference in standards being applied to different individuals, right? Well, David, you know, King David. Whoa, we can't, can't say anything bad about King David, right? King David did every, he was perfect. He did everything good. He is the king that we want. He's the perfect guy that we want to be our king. He never did anything wrong. But Jesus, the Lord, is bringing up this example to say, you you have the wrong standard, right? You're using differing standards for differing people. David broke the law when he took this bread. You know, David shouldn't have done that, even though, you know, you held him in such high esteem. But Jesus and his disciples weren't breaking the Sabbath. They were breaking a tradition that the Pharisees imposed on the Sabbath, right? So there's a difference there. Any comments on this section of David and Ahimelech? Yes, Chris. (laughs) Um, So I I wouldn't push this too hard, this this viewpoint. I'm just offering an alternative. Um, At what point did Saul become king? It was when he was anointed, right? Well, David was anointed too. I wonder if, you know, he sent himself on a secret mission or something. I don't know. Like I said, not a whole lot of confidence there, but it makes me wonder um, if maybe it wasn't just a straight-out lie. Maybe it was, I am king. Um, I I am going to do this. Just throwing that out there. It's true. I do think that regardless of that, you could still argue that it is deceptive in that. Um, You know, I think... I think it's still the point that you see later on after this that David is going and asking the Lord, what do I need to do here? But at this point, he's, he's terrified. He's just been put on the run. He's, you know, he's just, he's fearful. And I think he's caught up in that. He doesn't know what to do. So he just, he does what he thinks is right at this point in time. Um, and sometimes, you know, when we do that, we forget the more important things, right? We forget where we should put our trust, where we should go to look for guidance and for what to do or how to handle this situation. And instead we just say, uh, I'll do this. Right. And that might be the wrong thing. We have to be careful for that. The intensity of the situation, the intensity of the emotions involved, the, you know, the environment that's around that situation do not detract or take away from our responsibility to put our faith and trust in the Lord, right? So situational ethics would say, well, based on the situation, that changes whether or not you should trust the Lord. Maybe you shouldn't in this case. Maybe you should do something else that's better for you. But no, that's, that's not the truth, right? That's not, that's not what we abide by. That's not what we adhere, adhere to. That's not what we're taught from the scriptures. From the scriptures, we're taught that the Lord is our constant, and we put our trust and our faith in the thing that is constant, the thing that will not change. We change. We are fallible. And therefore, when we're presented with a situation where we feel like, well, I just have to figure this out on my own and do it my own way, uh, you know, that can lead us into trouble. Because uh, we don't know the, the perfect way to handle that. This decision is going to have consequences later on. Yes, Brian. I had a question. What do you think he meant when he said, when David, in effect, kind of argues with him and says that the bread is common? Do you think that was him being deceptive, or do you think that he actually had some point about you know, it was consecrated earlier this morning, but enough time has passed that now. Yeah, I mean, I the, the bread does get replaced on a, on a regular basis. And so it may have been that it was time for that bread to be burned in the fire um, as, as is directed to, by the priests. Um, and so maybe at that point they were going to replace the bread anyway. And he's saying, you know, I have this bread here. It's going to be replaced. We're going to just burn it. You know, you could take it and your men could eat it if they are pure. Um, so that, that may be the, the case there, um, but, it, you know, it's, it doesn't state that specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Any other comments? Okay, so David flees, and he flees to uh, Gath, Achish, king of Gath. And he gets there, and before he meets the king of Gath, Achish, he he meets the servants of the king of Gath. And what do the servants say? They've heard something. They've heard a song that people have been singing. Yeah, wait a second. Isn't this David? Uh, What do they say? Is this not David, the king of the land? Uh, did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying Saul is slain as thousands, David is ten thousands? They refer to David as the king, right? And with all the military victories of David, that might be part of the reason why. Also the fame that he has among the people, uh, you know. But again, we're kind of reinforcing this idea that Saul knows that he is being replaced. And part of that is because... You know, things like this, right? This kind of stuff keeps happening. Why do they keep saying David's better than me? Why do they keep saying David's mightier than me? Why do they keep saying David's killed more Philistines than me? Um, now the enemies are calling him the king. Um, and so, you know, Saul's fear is justified because the Lord told him he would be replaced by someone better than him. Um, but, you know, he just keeps getting these reminders over and over and over again, which are reinforcing his, uh, his ideas about David and his thoughts about David having some kind of plot against him, right? But why would David be afraid of this being known? Afraid that Saul would kill him, but, I mean, think about this situation. You're going to Gath, right? You're not in Israel anymore. You're going to the king of Gath. And you're saying, I need protection from Israel. And his servants are saying, oh, yeah, you're the king. That's not a smart place to hide, right? Because if you're a king of a different nation and you go to a neighboring nation and they say, hey, and you go up to them and you say, hey, I'm the king of Israel and I just need to hide out here for a while. Um, That's an invitation for them to, I don't know, maybe like, you know, capture you, invade your country, take it over. And then boom, there's the new gath. We've expanded now. Now we're Israel too, right? That might be kind of what would happen. Um, Your safety is not guaranteed any longer, right? And so I think David understands this. Uh, What does David do when he gets to King Achish? He acts crazy, right? He acts crazy. Uh, David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish king of Gath. So verse 13, he disguised his sanity before them, acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down into his beard. And what does King Achish say? I got enough crazy people. Why'd you bring this guy to me? (laughs) Right? Well, he's claiming to be the king of Israel. Well, I mean, I mean, he's drooling in his beard, he's acting all crazy, this guy doesn't seem to be a king or someone who's killing tens of thousands of Philistines, right? Uh, get him out of here. Get him out of here, right? Yes, Brother David. It's important to remind ourselves that Gath was one of the major cities of the Philistines. And so, which again, you think of here is David, who's known not only for his victories, but also his victories... Primarily against them, and so to be identified you know, as that definitely would put him not in a favorable light you know, to any Philistine. Right. Yeah, he would just—it would be an instant death sentence, pretty much. Uh, you know, they—they they would do like they did to King Saul and kill him and throw his body up on their gates to make a statement, right? Um, but he gets out of it. Right, he feigns his his insanity. Uh, he feigns this madness, and Akish says, "Yeah, this can't be the guy that's killing off all of our men." And so, get him out of here. I don't need crazy people in my court. Right, uh, I think I feel like everybody feels that way. Right, you don't want crazy people in your home. You probably have enough of those. And so, you know, send the rest out. Thank you. We're good here. Um, But David writes about this in the 34th Psalm. The 34th Psalm is a a psalm about the Lord being a provider and a deliverer. And what I want to bring up about this is before we see David kind of leaning on his own understanding, going after his own way to find survival... And that's going to take a certain turn. Here we have, he's leaning on the Lord. The Lord gave him deliverance here. I sought the Lord, verse 4, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Uh, verse 11, come to you, uh, children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the fear of the Lord, who is the man who desires life, loves length of days, that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. Um, you know, on and on again, he talks about the Lord saving those who are crushed in spirit, being near to the broken hearty, being, delivering the righteous from their many afflictions, keeping all his bones. You know, just, and, and remember, David fled from Saul he fled because he knew the king that he was serving wanted to kill him even though he had done nothing wrong right he's not fleeing for a righteous reason he's not fleeing for a just reason because you know uh, well you know i'm on a mission from saul and i have to do this no he's fleeing because the man he serves the king he serves wants him dead because he doesn't like him He's jealous of him and he doesn't believe that he doesn't have a plan to try and overthrow him, right? His best friend, right? His closest companion is the prince and he can't even save him. He can't even convince his father that he's wrong. And so he has to flee. Flee his home, flee the protection of the army. He flees, you know, his family's not even with him at this time. And in this case, when he goes to to uh, the king to Akish and is saved, I think he he understands that protection of the Lord and he, he writes this psalm about it, right? What does that say to me? What that says to me is that we, our lives, are complicated. We don't make the right decisions all the time. In the children's class, sometimes we, we take the kings and we put happy faces and frowny faces and then line faces on the ones that are good and the ones that are bad and the ones that are meh. You know, um, and it's it's nice and it's useful to try and think about it that way, but it's not an accurate depiction of our lives by any means, right? We all fail, we all have struggles, we all have things that we're stronger in, we all have points where we will stand and and do the right thing at, at one time, and then we will fail another time, and then we'll do the right thing another time, and then. We'll do the right thing and then we'll fail and then we'll, you know. And that is because we all have sin in common, right? The one common factor of all mankind is sin. We have that in common. And we, none of us can escape it, right? And so none of us are perfect. So what's the point here? Well, you know. David's not perfect. David made a mistake with Ahimelech that he's going to pay for later. But right now, he trusted in the Lord and he was saved, right? So just because you made a bad decision doesn't mean you're stuck making bad decisions, right? You can decide to not make a bad decision. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. Uh, sometimes we get in this trap where we think, oh, I, made, I made the wrong decision here. Uh-oh, I made the wrong decision here. I made the wrong decision here. I made the wrong decision here. Wrong, 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 wrong. And we do ourselves a disservice because we end up convincing ourselves that, well, now I can't get out of it. It's impossible. There is no hope. And so I just have to deal with my decisions and just that's how it's going to be for the rest of my life. Um, but no. Right? Anybody can make that change at any time. You can decide to not continue in those things. Sometimes that's the hardest thing, right? Just to not do what you've become comfortable doing and to do something different. Um, I think this points to the heart of David, right? The heart of David. And we'll see that again later on. Another, another point to the heart of David But he is thankful to the Lord. He understands where this deliverance came from. And he gives thanks to the Lord who provided it, right? That's important. It's important for us to acknowledge where our salvation, where our strength comes from. And to give thanks to the one who who, uh, provides it to us. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, any comments on that? 1 Samuel 22, David is bringing individuals to him. He's drawing individuals to him. He departs from Achish, uh, from Gath, and he escapes to a cave in Adullam. And there his brothers, his father's household, hears of it and they come down to see him. And in verse 2, everyone who is in distress, everyone who is in debt, And everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. There's kind of a difference here between David and Saul. What did Saul do when he saw somebody who was valiant and had some kind of ability that he wanted? He gobbled him up, and he brought him into his staff, right? You know, oh, this person's a great fighter. Yep, they're not my fighter, right? This person's a really good accountant. Yeah, now they're my accountant. They'll run my books. Okay, this is a really good farmer. Now they're my farmer, right? Good shepherder. Okay, now they, they sh- shepherd my herds, right? Um, Saul grabs all the, all the valiant, all the good you know, workers, all the people with good abilities. He brings them into his staff so that he can be a strong king and have a strong uh, group of people behind him, right? What's different here with David? He takes in the outcast, but did David bring these people to himself? I mean, not directly, right? He didn't see, oh, yeah, these people, they need me. So, yeah, okay, come on, come to me. No, he went to a cave. And what happened? They came to him, right? Yeah. People were drawn to David. Why would they be drawn to David? Yeah, his actions spoke louder, right? There are songs about him and his actions. Uh, you know, other people had experience with, experiences with David and probably talked about it. You know, David's probably being talked about a lot because there's this weird thing going on where David's kind of our general and giving us victory, but the king, I don't know, I heard some rumor about the king, his spear slipped and tried to hit him, and I don't know what's going on, right? Um, but the people in general seem to have this love for David because he's brought them salvation in different ways. He's given deliverance from the armies of the Philistines that have been persecuting them for so long. And these people are not people that are content with the the current status, right? They're not content with the current status. They are people who are in distress. They're in debt. They're discontent. And they come to David and he becomes a captain over them. Now, how many people does he have? 400. It's not a lot of people, right? We're not talking about 100,000 people. He doesn't have this giant army he's running around with. But 400 people, I mean, that's pretty good. It's better than what he was last chapter, right? Last chapter, it was him. That's what it seems. So now he at least has a group of people with him, and he has his family with him, right? And when you're on the run, do you really want your family to be on the run with you? I mean, you know, all right, come on, Grandma, we got to get out of this town. You know, Saul's coming, he's going to kill us all. we got to go. No, probably not, right? You want your family safe. That's what David did. He wanted his family safe. So what does David do? He goes to Moab, actually. He goes to Mizpah of Moab, to the king of Moab, and he says, okay, Moabites, protect my family, right? Um, It's probably a better move than to go to the Philistines. Uh, Don't go to the Philistines to protect your family. If you're the one killing them all. Um, If he goes to Moab, right? Go to Moab and and the Moabites, uh, he'll leave his family there. He says, please let my father and my mother come and stay with you until I know what God will do for me. And then he leaves them. And uh, the prophet Gad comes to David and uh, gives him some information. Don't stay in this stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. And so... You know, David leaves, right? Gad is a, a prophet who is uh, later on will be known as David's seer. So he's a prophet during this time. The prophet of the Lord comes to David and says, don't stay here. Go to Judah. And what does David do? Yeah, he listens to the prophet, right? He listens to the prophet. So he gets up and he departs and goes to Judah and goes into the forest there of Hereth. And, and who hears this? Saul. It's harder to hide when you have a lot of people with you, Right? Harder to hide when you have 400 people and you're moving around somewhere. But David is told to go, and so he does. Saul hears about it. And what does Saul do? He starts threatening people in Judah, right? Uh, Saul hears about this, that David's on the move, and so he goes uh, to the, the Benjamites, and he threatens them in verses seven and eight. "Hear now, O Benjamites, will the son of Jesse, remember, David stopped, or Saul stopped using David's name. Right? That's how he feels about David now. We don't call him David anymore. We call him son of Jesse with the son of Jesse, and there is none of you who is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in ambush as it is this day? He's coming to kill me, and no one's telling me. Why aren't you telling me? I'm your king. Protect me. Right? You didn't even tell me my son conspired against it and, and drew him over here to give it, do an ambush, right? He sounds very whiny at this point. He's getting a little whiny. He's having a little bit of a pity party. Yeah. But he, he can see the things that he has slipping out of his grasp. Right. He can see that. I mean, we just were told about Achish. King Achish, you know, his servants referring to David as the king of Israel. Nobody's telling me about where David's going. That's unfair because I'm the king and you're supposed to love me. Right. You chose me. Well, the Lord, the Lord chose him as a consequence of their rejection of the Lord, right, to be their king. But no, he's, he's in this frame of mind, right? Why aren't you protecting me, your king? Why are you siding with this son of Jesse, as he says? And so he gives these threats, and apparently they seem to have an impact on one individual. Who's that individual? Yeah, Doeg the Edomite. And where had we seen Doeg before? He just happened to be in Nob, right? Just happened to be in Nob when David came. And so he tells Saul, I saw the son of Jesse. Remember, don't use David's name. Bad idea with King Saul. Saw the son of Jesse. Uh, in coming to Nob and to Ahimelech, the son of Ahedab, and he required of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. And it doesn't look good for David at this point, right? If you're just given that information and you've given an accusation from the king that says, this man's coming to kill me, to ambush me. And one of, you know, your servants comes in and says, well, yeah, I did see him with the priest and he gave him a sword and now he's here. That it doesn't sound too great, right? But there's a lot of the story missing, right? There's a lot of the facts that are missing. Uh, Saul then sends to have Ahimelech uh, summoned and all of his father's household, the priests who were in Nob. And so all of them come to the king. And, you know, all of them come, right? How many are there? How many of the priests are there? It's all of them in Nob. So it's, it's 85 individuals, right? 85 men. Um, and Saul has something to say to Ahimelech. Listen now, son of Ahida. May, apparently it's not just reserved for David. Apparently it's reserved for anyone Saul is displeased with. He will not call you by name. He will call you son of your father, right? Um, Here I am, my Lord, is what he answers Saul says, why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me in that you have given him the bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him so that he would rise up against me by lying in ambush as it is this day? Who told David to go to Judah? God. But God used who to tell him that? Yeah. He didn't use a right? He used Gad. David's in Judah because Gad told him that he needed to go there, right? So what's Saul's accusation? It's false, right? It's false. Conspiracy. it has got to be a conspiracy, right? Oh, he shows up here with Goliath's sword. You gave it to him. You had to tell him to come here. Um, but that's, that's not the case. And so Ahimelech answers and says, I don't get it. Uh, David's a faithful servant. I don't understand the problem. Right, Uh, Who among all your servants is as faithful as David, even the king's son-in-law, who is captain over your guard and is honored in your house? Did I just begin to inquire of God for him today? Far be it from me. Do not let the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the household of my father, for your servant knows nothing at all of this whole affair. There's something going on here that Ahimelech says, I don't know what's happening. Right, I'm not a part of any weird conspiracy from David to try and kill you in the forest here. Um, you know, as far as he knew, David was still a faithful servant leading the army and, you know, following after, after Saul's command to, to go on this mission, right? The king's command to go on this secret mission. That's what Ahimelech knew. And he said, you know, that you know, previously you've had me inquire of the Lord for David and, and to go out and to, to slaughter the Philistines. So I don't, I don't understand. But, you know, whatever's going on here, that's not with me and my family. Don't hold it against me and my family, right? And what does Saul say? That's great. You know what? You're right. I believe you. Yeah, his paranoia, his fear. Maybe even his outrage, right? I mean, you, you really can kind of pick your bad emotion here that might be driving this at this point. It's probably all of them, some mix of all of them, right? But he says, no, you uh, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's household, right? He's, he's done. There is not going to be a conspiracy because now you will be killed, right? You're not going to do it to me again. You say you didn't do it to me now. Well, that's great. I'll prove that you'll never do it again. You will die now. So he tells the guards, kill them all. And the guards say, no. <laughs> right? No. Saul is losing it on all fronts, right? It. I don't believe that Saul's servants are saying no to killing these priests because they have some uh, loyalty for, for David and, and what he's planning to do to Saul at some point in time. Did they want to... Uh, buy into this idea that he's going to be killed. And so, you know, you know, we, we're just not going to defend him. Right. That, that, I don't believe that's what the servants are doing. What the servants are doing is they're, they're seeing this breakdown of rational thinking because of Saul's suspicion, because of his paranoia, because Saul has abandoned reason for his own delusions. Right. Saul is abandoned reason for his delusions. That was seen last class when he confronts Jonathan and Jonathan gives him example after example after example, time after time of David's actions are not matching what you believe in him, right? The fruit is not bearing forth, you know? You say that he's conspiring and against you in some way and yet he's only done good for you. It doesn't make sense. Saul doesn't want to listen to that in chapter 22 and tries to kill those that say that to him. And so, again, here, it's presented again. David's your faithful servant. I don't understand. Captain of your guard. Son-in-law to you. I don't want to hear that. Kill him. And so his, his servants say no, right? His guard says no. But who will follow the king's actions? Doeg the Doeg the Edomite. <clears throat> You know, there's always an opportunist somewhere, right? You get a chance to get on the king's good side. You know, maybe he also bought into this, uh, you know, delusion of Saul that Saul's been spouting out here. I mean, we don't really have the, the full character of Doeg on display, right? We don't get his reasoning for following through with the king's command. But he does. He attacks and kills the priests. He kills all 85 of them. But they don't stop there. While I was studying for this, somebody said, oh, this consequence of David's, of involving these priests, costs 85 men their lives. That person is wrong. It didn't cost 85 men their lives. It cost the city of Nob, right? He struck the Nob, the city of the priests, with the edge of the sword. Men and women, children and infants, don- oxen, donkeys, sheep. Sounds like he did to Nob what he was supposed to do to the king previously, right? What he was told by Samuel when he was supposed to go and defeat the Amalekites utterly and utterly destroy them. He saved that for these priests and Nob. Um, and it's all because he's terrified. He's suspicious. He's obsessed with this delusion. He's bought into it so hard that it's, it's real to him. And it's, A a very serious threat, and so he has to put forth all of his energy and effort and power behind crushing this idea. One person escapes, right? Uh, uh, Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, escapes and goes to David and tells David what happened. And in verse 22, David says to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. Stay with me. Do not be afraid for he who seeks my life seeks your life for you are safe with me. Here's the difference between David and Saul. When Saul was confronted with one of his sins, Saul said, I didn't do that. I don't know what you're talking about. Somebody else did that. Not my fault. Not my fault. Right? Right? You you told me not to do the sacrifice. Well, I I did the sacrifice because they made me do the sacrifice. It's their fault, not my fault. David is told what Doeg does to the priest because of, of his actions, because of his involvement there. And what does David say? That's my fault, right? That was my sin. That was my problem. I brought that on your family. And he makes it right, right? I brought that on your family, but I will protect you. Stay with me and I will protect you, right? This is the difference between David and Saul. David acknowledges his sins and then makes a change, right? Do something better, do something different. And he makes that change. <clears throat> in uh, in chapter 23, we have David saving this uh this town of Keilah. And he does something again that Saul didn't do. He inquires of the Lord, right? Saul stopped doing that a long time ago. David inquires of the Lord. The Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are plundering it. David inquires of the Lord, should I go? And the Lord says, go. And so he, he goes to go. The men are really worried and nervous and they're, they're afraid. And so they're hesitant to go. And so what does David do? He says, well, no, they told me I can't go. So now I got to stop. No, he inquires the Lord again, right? Inquire the Lord again. And what does the Lord say? Go. And so what does David do? He goes. He fights uh, in Keilah. He gives a, a, a great destruction, a deliverance to the inhabitants of Keilah, a destruction to the Philistines. And it comes about, Saul's then told that David's there. And Saul says, all right, the Lord gave him into my hand again. I mean, how deluded are you at this point, right? God gave him into my hand. Um, No, I think you should know by now. That's not the case. But Saul goes to attack uh, David to besiege him in that area. And David inquires of the priest again. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do I stay or do I go? And the Lord says, they'll give you up. You need to go. And so he leaves, right? David leaves. Again. Situation after situation, David is inquiring of the Lord. That's what you want in a king, right? A king that's going to rule your, your nation and lead you down the right path. You want a king that, in Proverbs 3, does not rely on their own understanding, but relies on the Lord, right? And so he flees. He, they, they leave. And when it's told Saul that they leave, Saul gives up. Okay, well, lost him again. David stays in the wilderness of Ziph. And uh, then the, the men of Ziph, uh, you know, Jonathan actually meets David here in this location and, uh, and they, they get to see each other yet again. Again, few times that's going to happen um, since their departure and, and that rift between Jonathan and Saul. But Jonathan gives him this optimistic view that you will be king and I will be right there with you supporting you, right? That's, that's such an encouraging thought. Because you have these two men whose souls were knit together because of their dedication and their love of the Lord and his will. And yet, his optimism is not going to make it happen. Right? That's not the way this is going to work out. It's a very encouraging thought. Probably encouraged David in the moment and built him up when he needed it. But unfortunately, we don't get to see that picture play out that way right? We don't get that kind of a happy ending. And that's because it's not our will, right? Not our will. You can have the best of intentions, you can have the most optimistic of views, but just because you want it really bad doesn't mean that's the way it's going to happen. And that's okay, right? That's okay. Because again, who's in charge? The Lord, right? So again, David is, is, Surrounded by Saul on this mountain, and at the end of chapter 23, God gives deliverance again. The word comes to Saul that the Philistines are in the area, and so Saul leaves, and David yet again escapes. So we'll leave it there until next time.